writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. In this episode of Right Pack Radio, we're going to explore a question that was asked of us by our listening audience, and that is, how do we pick which project to work on? Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host and producer, David Allen Lucas, president of St. Louis Writers Guild, president of Winding Trails Media, executive producer at the, at the following above, and also happy to happy to, that you've heard already that we have a brand new show joining the Right Pack Radio podcasting network that's going to be called Excelsior Journeys, starting the second Tuesday in October. Stay tuned for that. And also with me today, my lovely co-host is absent, so I will jump to my lovely wife. Hi, I'm Melanie Lucas. Uh, have not yet started uh, writing, but you know we're recording in the past, so in September I'm sure I'm writing busily. Yeah, she the the um, competition she had with me on getting the first draft done got put on hold due to some health issues on her part. So, and I'm still thinking it's on hold, but we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Also with me is the Madame of Murder and Mayhem. Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis and Mayhem at Buffalo Bills. A Wild West and coming from Five Star Cengage in 2019 is Have Your Ticket Punched by Frank James. I'm also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. And you can find me at the Central West End and Left Bank Books Book Fest on September the 22nd, which is right outside the Left Bank Books home in the Central West End on Euclid. And come out and see me. You'll have a great time. Sally Fields is the headliner. Wow. And also with me today is a sky... Sky Sub Lieutenant. I just had a really good mojo. What did they do to get demoted? Uh, I'm steampunk. Yes. I realized I had not taken you down that far, so what the heck? At least I didn't go Ensign. Yeah, no kidding. Next year you're going to be like, it's Yeoman. Uh, so, yes. No, I am Brad R. Cook. I am the author of uh, many a steampunky thing and several other things as well. Uh, so you can find the Iron Chronicles out there. You can find uh, the Air Dream Adventures out there. And in the near future, you will be able to find more. There's a bunch of short stories out there as well. Uh, and for the purpose of today's episode, I am two of four for the year. So hmm. Two of four? Ooh. Two of four what? Two of four what? Manuscripts. Ah, yeah. We'll talk more. Okay, and also with us... Coming to us from New Orleans as she prepares to undertake her new MFA. And no, don't worry, Professor. She does love writing literary fiction, despite what she says. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kimmel Aitken. I write secular fiction, literary fiction, stuff that can barely be classified as fiction. 
I write everything pretty much. Um, I am currently, as Dave said, pursuing my MFA at the University of New Orleans and writing like mad. Yeah, you're writing. You're writing for classes like Matt, if nothing else. Okay, and today we're going to talk about a question that came to us when we asked the audience, you know, stuff where they would like to have right back radio cover, and that was how do we decide which project to work on? Now, for those who are just curious that are not writers, that which I know some of you do join in because you're readers and. Something which a lot of writers, I've seen this happen, I've had this happen to me, so speaking from, from experience, we tend to have some people come up to us and go, I have an idea for a story for you to write. I will let the others say this to themselves if they so choose, but coming up with ideas for a story is never the problem. It is knowing, of course, which one to work on and breaking through writer's block. So, with all the shiny ideas that come across our brains, which are hundreds if not millions of ideas, how do you go about picking which one you want to work on? Brad, you're, you're jumping at the bit, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, I just wanted to explain basically uh, my intro there. So, I uh, will, in hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that kind of good stuff, throw salt on my shoulder. Um, by the end of the year, have four manuscripts finished. And when I say man, I say manuscripts for a reason because they will all not be completed books, uh, but hopefully they will be uh, well, well along the road to being completed books. Uh, and the reason I've written this up is, and for today's topic, is that one, this is one of the first years I've tasked myself with so much to write. Uh, but two, um, it has been very much a road of which. Of the shiny objects in front of me, do I choose to write? Um, and now these are, I, I started the year knowing that three of these projects were definitely on my queue uh, and that I needed to write them and get them out. And, you know, that is the whole point of the year. However, uh, then another shiny object popped its little head up and said, I am the coolest idea you've had, write me first. And so it actually jumped to second in line. Uh, and just got finished, so I'm super excited to have that one out of me. But uh, it is it is interesting in the way that this is often the game that you will have to play. Not only which uh, which story do I want to write next, or which stories do I have in the queue coming up, but then which one am I going to write, which one should I write, and all of that kind of good stuff. And I will say, and we'll get into this more, the way in which I chose... Uh, one has something to do with deadlines, so I will definitely throw up that deadlines are the the big overall arc of probably what's going to make you pick and choose. Uh, but the rest of that came from what needed to get out first, uh, what I kind of was bubbling inside of me to get out, and that was a big part of it too, because which one of my most inspired to touch. Uh, but also it is the notion of uh, you know, it's kind of like a job. So I'm working this project now. I'm going to work it for the next couple of months, and then I know I've got the next one up. So it's, you know, one, if they're in the queue, it is kind of rapid fire. So one of them needed more work, so it's at the end of the line. Understood. Chanel. So I completely agree with Brad in terms of the deadlines make a difference. Um, 
I currently have, I don't, I don't even know, um, one novel, two short stories, and like a, something that is possibly poetry, possibly something else. I don't know what it is yet. In progress. Um, um, up until this point, my novel was taking precedence just because I was um, trying to get it to the agents from Gateway Con um, as soon as I could. Right. But now that I'm starting school, I have a short story that's going to be due in the next few weeks. So that kind of pushes everything else to the back burner, even though now this is my brain. My brain is like, ooh, shiny, ooh, that's a sexy story idea over there. And inevitably, I will want to be writing on anything other than what I'm writing on currently. That's just the way it works. But um, like now that I'm like, I need to work on getting into short story mode for the short story, I'm like, huh, idea for my novel. This is great. But yeah, um, it, uh, it always comes back to me in terms of, like, A, if there's a deadline, deadline is come first. And B, like, what am I most excited about? If I'm super excited about it, it's going to come out first, regardless of what I have written down on my timetable. It's going to be what, which one of these is, like, first thing to come out onto the page. Or which one of these do I have to have finished with school? Either one. Go ahead, Fedora, and then I'm going to go. Well, there are three things that I think need to be discussed in this entire what do you pick to choose to work on first, second, and third. I'm only going to talk about one for the moment, but the three things are, one, why do we write at all? Why do we write the first place? Two is why do we pick up and write the very first thing that we write? And then if you do a series, as I do, how do you keep that series going? I'm going to start with just the very first one. Why do we write at all? And I think it is that we can't not write. Something is knocking in our heads, and it is saying, write me, write me, write me, and I'm never going to let you go until you do. So that is part one. Something is so imperious that you have to get to it, that you have to write it. That's where it starts. Let me, I'm going to add to that, I'm going to go down a different road, but I'm going to add to you. I actually tried to shut off my creativity for a while. I really didn't have a choice. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I was taking care of an elderly parent, and at the time, a picture, basically, if you've ever had a child, which I have not had, but if you ever had a child, you know it's like changing a baby's diapers. Imagine doing that for an adult for over six months. And I just literally had to shut down because I didn't have time. I wasn't sleeping. Um, and I will say, when you shut off, try to shut off that creativity, for me anyway, it is, param- it is paramount to, to massive depression. It, I, I was the most unhappy person you could have ever known back then. So, yeah, it, you, there's a reason why. It's what reason why you pick your first job, first thing you write. And, so, and actually, I think the really stories pick you. But the thing which I was going to go is down why I go with what I do. Right now, I'm working on two writing projects. One is for a job, which I do, which is about sword fighting. And it's um, basically, it's a, it's a katana manual on a style of fighting that really most practitioners don't know. 
And then the other one, of course, is the book that I'm, call, that I'm calling Splintered Eye, that I will not talk about because I don't want to give anything away. Um, that has changed in my hands. Um, I will say that. You have, you've got to do what you feel like you can write. Now, there's a lot of ideas I have to write that I don't think is right for me to write. Um, let me use an example. If you can't guess by my voice, I'm a white male. So writing about Martin Luther King concept versus Malcolm X concept is not something really I should write about. I don't think. I'll just write about well. Um, that would be one as an, as an example not for me to do. It has to be something which I feel like I can write. There's a lot of stories I have ideas for. I sit down and it's like, yeah, this one's not one I would write. I would love to read read it, but I can't write it. So I saw Brad was shaking his head on agreement with what I was saying about I, that one's not one I can write. Should write, anyway. Um, so that was your first thing. That's about why I'm writing at all. Yeah. Not the first thing that I chose to write. Yeah. Um, what about... If you're involved in an organization of writers, or if you do any volunteer work at all, as well as if you have a full-time job, find, figuring out your deadlines is, can be interesting because you're bouncing like a ping-pong ball. That also helps determine which project you can write. Kind of like what Chanel was saying, yes, what you're most passionate about is going to drive first, but... You're well, Chanel hit it right on the head in yeah. the sense of... The notion of having an agent who wants to see your stuff. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm getting my book finished up, uh, the, one of the manuscripts finished up, you know, right now is because of an agent. That's the deadline. So a lot of these deadlines will pop up on you, but, you know, for me, there's also, there's a very much a self-imposed deadline of knowing that I have to have these four books, uh, done. And at three months of book or so, uh, it's, you know, three to four months a book. It's going to be hard to get all four done. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I know that the original plan was three and then this other one popped up. So, uh, knowing that is hard, but it, you know, this is, this is the thing about being a writer. You've got to know those deadlines and be willing to work towards them. No matter what you're writing, you're always going to have a deadline. Yeah. Go ahead. About my first project, <clears throat> the first one that I tried to write a novel from, which still has not seen the light of day, though it may one of these days. And the impetus for it was anger. Ooh. I had been reading about a couple of sisters who lived near Hannibal, and eventually one died, and the other got sent to an insane asylum. Not because she was insane, but because she refused to sell her property to a cement company. And they eventually, after a number of years, got her declared insane and basically took the property. And I found that to be just so beyond maddening that I decided to write a book in which I showed how easy it was for people a hundred and some years ago to get sent into an insane asylum. And I read a number of cases. There was one in New Orleans, for example, of a daughter who had her father stuck in an insane asylum. And the official reason why was stupidity. Hello. 
Well, in that case, half the world needs right. to be in an insane asylum. Who would not be in an insane asylum when the standards are that way? Mm-hmm. And it was quite easy for a man whose word would be taken over a woman's any minute, any day, to have his wife sent to an insane asylum just because he was tired of her. So that made me so angry that I decided to write <coughs> And I'm going to just quickly apologize again, like I did last episode, to our audience. This really recording on the same day, and yeah, I'm stuck with the coughing. I'm sorry about that. It's amazing how much emotion can drive a story. Absolutely. It's passion, as yeah. uh, Chanel said. Brad, over to you. Yeah, so I love rage writing. You know, um, no, when something gets up in your gyre and you have to, like, you know, forcibly get that out of you. I love that. It's kind of good. It makes for good books. Uh, but here's the thing, and this is what I love too. Uh, so Nora brought up a great point, which is as historical writers, uh, we have kind of a unique thing. And this is where I find that Dave, your comment about the story finding you is actually a bit true because we can't possibly know everything in history. We can't possibly retell everything in history, but as historical writers, we're constantly you know, have our ears open whenever something historical is being talked about, and something will set us off, something will intrigue us, something will, you know, go, we'll have there be some wrong that needs to be righted in history, and instantly that forms story ideas, and, you know, suddenly you've got, like, a whole series of plot points uh, exploding before you, and that turns into a book and everything, and it's something I find fascinating. It happens almost in all historical writers that I know. And I'm sure it's uh, similar for others, but as historical people, uh, whenever we hear these great stories from history, uh, it is something that kind of gets set off in us. And I think the other thing we do is hear a bunch of them, file some away for later, so that you know you never know when you're going to need that great idea. But I, it's something I find that uh, the little historical tidbits that we come across and how that influences uh, what we write. Agreed. And... Even if it's not historical, if you're not writing history, it could be something you've written in history or something in your modern day life. Just little, little tidbits that fall together in strange and weird patterns that create the story or the concept of the story that you've chosen to write. And of course, having bills kind of helps you also pick, pick something to write. I mean, I hate to say, say throw in the business end of the writing, but it is a business. And hopefully you can get paid, not always, but hopefully, and you can pay some bills. Um, what do you do? Now, Brad, you've got... Oh, sorry, I didn't see it. Okay. You sure? Okay. I, I didn't catch that you put your hand up there. Um, you've got you've got four stories right now you're working on. You talked about how you made the decision of which was first, second, fourth, etc., but yet, I know you've got more out there to play. So, break down, how did you come okay. up with those four? Uh, so, the four that I'm, I'm doing now are very specific and mostly set to deadlines. So, uh, one of them is a book that... Uh, so, one of them is a conversion of a play that I wrote many years ago. Um, and that was the first one that I did this year. And it was it's a passion project that I've been working on for years, and it was just time to... to write it out. Um, so that was first because I knew it would be kind of the fastest. Uh, and it was also the one that was most in, in my heart at the moment. 
then the second one popped up, and hey, that was that's the book that needed to get written. The third one has a deadline of uh, a year from now that it has to be finished. So I have to work on it, and I have to get it published, and I want to get it out there before all of that time. So uh, it very much has, you know, there's a there's a big deadline out there looming. And then the fourth project uh, is uh, actually Tales of the Gearblade, and it is something that I've been working on for a while, and it's the next in my career path <coughs> as a steampunk author. So all of these are kind of natural progressions, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, so... Oh, God. Uh, there are probably another five or six novels that are proto-ideas that are floating around somewhere in my head. There's several story series that are floating around in my head. Um, and those are all things that might get written one day. And then there's this other side of my brain that is holding a plethora of stuff that will never see the light of day because that's like funny anecdotes to be oh that'd be really funny to write but oh yeah I'm a kid's author and uh, that's probably not something I should write as a kid's author you know but there's a ton of stuff that's floating around in the ether back there that'd be great stories for something or you know uh, would make a great role playing game or something along those lines but it's never going to see the light of day as a published story probably so but there's a ton of, uh, you know, proto-ideas that are mm -hmm. cool stories. Maybe it's a short story. Maybe it's a novel. Uh, flip back to the last episode and figure out which. Uh, and then, you know, maybe it's uh, a good idea. Maybe it's a bad idea. Maybe it simmers for a while and becomes something. Or maybe it just withers on the vine and I stick it in a drawer. When you write a series, this was the third thing that I wanted to talk about. Then you have uh, you have more to play with, so to speak. I have more than one goal anytime that I am writing a, a novel, which is set more than hundred years ago, and it's not just to have engaging characters and a good uh, plot for a, a mystery, but it's also to give details of the time that are true, and evoke the flavor of the period. And also to focus on some facet of life then that I can go into a little more depth in. For the one that I was talking about earlier, it was insane asylums. And for another, it's the railroads, the uh, big conglomerates that were taking over at the time. Uh, for another, it is drugs, the drug abuse that was so prevalent at the time and quite entirely legal. So I try to also talk about a problem that was a problem then and still is a problem. It's changed in the scope or the size of it or who the people are involved, but the problem really is essentially the same. And I'm hoping that people will get something from that. So I have more than one idea being germinated in each of the books. Another thing that annoys me a lot about many writers, especially writers of mystery, is that their characters never get any older and they keep writing the same book over and over again. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so I have a very clear progression of time starting in 1897. I'm now up to 1899 and I will keep on going. 
and my character will get a little older each time because I would have more than one book set per year, but using details that were true and important at the time, as well as one of these sidelines that I'm attempting to do, as well as to tell just a good old yarn. What about that? When, let me go back a little bit. Some writers, and I understand why, they follow, they basically rewrite the same book, just a little different each yep. time. And that's, that works. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're up there. They're well-published. I'm not going to pick on any of them, but does, does that create, I don't want to put this, does that create a path of ease that you go down and choose to write that way versus the challenge of writing something new? Does that ever come into play? Well, I'm sure it does, but then there has to be something that's going to carry them through. And I'll name names. Janet Ivanovich. Janet Ivanovich writes the same book every time, and her character, Stephanie Plum, never gets any older. She's always late 20s, and she always has the same idea. Let's see, I think she might have gotten a little bit older. You think so? Yeah, I think she might be in her 30s now. Not very noticeable, is she? Yeah, like I said, a little bit, not realistic year for year. But I can say that because I love her books anyway, and I read every single one of them because she has such great humor, and it's such fun to read them. I read them in a slapdash, and it's a nice little vacation, even though I know exactly what to expect. But part of that knowing exactly what to expect is part of the appeal of it, and certainly the humor is. So I'm not throwing you under the bus, Janet. I love your books and will keep right on reading them, even though you write the same thing time after time. I just don't want to follow that model. As, as if I could. I, I don't want to. Yeah, and Brad, you're coming up next. And that is one thing, as you just pointed out, so that's, it's what your readers are expecting from you. Exactly, yes. Brad. Yeah, so uh, I too will throw uh, writers off. Uh, no, um, Clive Pessler, one of my one of my faves. The man literally wrote the exact same book for his entire career. Mm -hmm. And I will say this: one, that is fascinating to be able to do uh, as a writer myself. The notion of writing Iron Horseman over and over and over again is intriguing because uh, that would be oddly interesting, maybe easy, I guess. But uh, the other thing would be trying to come up with something. Yeah, maybe the first three times you've got enough ideas to cover it. But how do you write the same story when it's like the tenth book and make it different to the point where I, the big giant Clive Pussler fan, is going to buy that book, read that book, you know, devour it, love it, and keep it on my shelf forever, uh, and not care that I, you know, each one is an underwater adventure where he pulls some relic up from the, you know, you know, everyone knows a good Dirk Pitt book, but right. So you know, it's it's. It, it, I would love to be able to do it, and at the same time, uh, uh, I, as a writer myself, I too uh, love progression, and so Alexander ages every year. Uh, my characters always age through my books, uh, because, you know, time passes, at least in my world. <laughs> well, So what does Clive Cussler have to offer you? With a man of vicious humor, what does Clive offer you? I would say a huge sense of adventure. Um, with, That's with it. The, adventure. Yeah. Total adventure. <coughs> you, you, you start the page and you jump into Dirk Pitt's mind. 
Uh, you're going to be going on some crazy underwater. People are going to be shooting guns at you. It's going to be crazy. Uh, there's going to be some crazy deal that goes bad. Some government's going to try and stop you with all these forms, and then you're going to have to like go around them and figure out another way. And then it's all going to work out in the end, and you know you're going to pull it up off the bottom of the ocean. That's every Dirk Pitt novel ever. Yeah. No, sometimes I learn something because well, he's done his research on each one. Oh, yeah. I learn, I learn stuff. I have a blast. Yeah. It is the best time. I mean, Tom Clancy does this too uh, with all the, you know, Jack Ryan novels. I mean, Jack oh, yeah. Ryan is literally the same in every single book that he's ever done. Uh, and hey, and his career I love progresses. Jack his career oh. progresses. A little bit. You know, sometimes he gets a different job title. Yeah. But for the most part. You know, it's the same guy. Now, different actors playing with all the films, which is funny, but for the most part, it's the same guy. Yeah, it works. I love Jack Ryan, too. So. so, taking that and applying it to how you write, does that element come into play? Either the ease of it or the I want to get away from it come into play with how you choose. Go for it. I think uh, that for me, a habit. <laughs> I roll out of bed, go straight to the computer, and I write for an hour or two. And that's about all that I'm good for for the day. And you know that I believe in baby steps. And if I write a hundred words, I'm happy enough to leave it for the rest of the day. And there's something about thinking about it before I go to bed. And then letting my mind, my subconscious work on it overnight. That seems to give me an idea of what I should write come morning. And so I think, for me at least, it's writing every day. Mm -hmm. And that is the secret of getting it done. You know, if you uh, have a goal, as I do, of only 100 words a day, you'll have a book in two years. And generally, I'm able to write more than 100 words. But even if I don't, if I write 100 words, I'm satisfied. I like it. So, with that said, what current projects, and Brad, you already talked about before you're working on right now, um, what current project are you working on right now, Sedora, and then, Chanel, I know your answer is going to depend on what your assignments are with the master's degree, so we'll come, we'll come to you in a minute. Go ahead. Well, I'm taking my heroine, who is... A, an amateur sleuth. She is a newswoman. I am taking her across the Atlantic Ocean and going on a grand tour of Europe, which was something that many young ladies did in those days. And for her, it wasn't quite so uh, much as others might. She is a poor relation of her aunt who is taking her along. So that's my project now. I have written a book, which is gotten her from New York all the way to Ireland, and now she's going from Ireland, not to the place where they were supposed to go, England. She's going to Portugal. Oh, okay. She skips the rest of the British Isles. <laughs> well, no, <coughs> not, because they're going to be on this trip for a year. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, travel back then was yeah, much slower than it is today. It was, indeed, especially if, uh, as her rich aunt can travel in whatever style she'd like to be, be accustomed to because she has the money to do that. And also, I got to admit that I love Europe. Mm -hmm. I love Europe 
especially at the turn of the century, and I'm glad to be able to share some of my uh, the things that I love about Europe from 100 years ago with people that read my books. I have a curiosity question, and I'm going to jump over to Chanel and warning Melanie, I am coming to you with this as well, but with that question, but I know, um, Fedora, you just recently came back from Portugal. It's not that long ago. Did right. Your, did, your, did your trip change your story, or did your story, or was you planning to go to Portugal because of your story, or was there any connection? It was that one. I was planning to go to Portugal because of the story. I had been to Portugal before, but only for like a day in Lisboa, as they call it, mm-hmm. and a day in Porto. And I wanted to go to the big religious sites because Portugal is a heavily Catholic, heavily religious mm-hmm. country. And I had seen the the wonderful pageantry during Holy Week at Salamanca. And uh, so I wanted to get that. That is the, the sub-theme in the book that I'm working on now. It is religion. Cool. And I brought that up because I know this one back when I... Okay, if you listened to the last episode, you know how much I hate writing short stories. But there was a time I was writing some short stories that were set in Williamsburg, Virginia, during the, eh, right before what we know as the French and Indian War. For all those in Europe who are listening to us, that's the, um, eh, what was that word called? <laughs> My mind just went blank. And I actually minored in history. I just completely blanked it. Anyway, um... <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, so it's amazing how vacation trips will orient your book or you go on vacation because of your book. It like, really does broaden the mind to mm-hmm. travel. It does. Okay, Chanel, I'm coming to you. I know you're I know you're juggling with your master's degree and then, the, of course, the profession of writing itself. So, with you... Yeah. What's guiding you with your choices of what you've been writing? What book, what what are you currently working on? I realize since I'm asking this, I'm going to have to come back to me with this as well, so <laughs> I'll have to let some cats out of the bag. Go, go for it. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to be la- I'm going to be last in the hopes it gets derailed. Go ahead. So, the project that I am Um, 
And I've got, I've had like five different short stories zooming around in my head. Um, and I'm just basically being like, hmm, which one of you looks the shiniest right now? Uh, well, I could buy a story about like the dog man of North Mississippi. This is a thing. Um, I could write about the, the hereditary that she's being haunted by her, uh, the ghost of her, um, ancestors to try to get her to have a baby to carry on the family line. Ooh. Um, that is going to be a fun one. I'm tempted to write that one. But at this point, I'm still kind of in a divided phase of, hmm, which one of you is most shiny? Okay. Brad, I know you get your four. What you're working on? What's coming after that? That you're choosing? Uh, well, or that would be dictated by what happens to the four. <coughs> so, one of the you know tales of the Gearblade will have uh, more adventures after that. So there there will be that is the series that will continue on. So that's one of them. Uh, but for the others, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, good things happen to them, and then I will go on with that. Um, so I'm going to let that dictate the future as opposed to say this is all coming down the path. Okay. I will let you off the hook on that. Melanie, I'm coming to you. You're currently working on a novel because you, you're working on a no, this novel from two, two aspects that are challenges for you. One, you're a plotter. And you're pantsing the story. Okay, I gave up on that. I completely failed as a pl- uh, uh, as a pantser. Okay. And I went back to plotting. The novel is all plotted out now. Okay, that, that, that's good. Yeah. And the second thing that was, you normally write science fiction, and this is a fantasy novel, yeah. which, for those who don't quite get it, there is still a separation. There is some overlap, but there's a separation between the two yeah. as well. So why that one, and what's going to be your next thing? Okay, so... Um, I already knew this about myself, but it turns out to be more true than I thought. I like world building, and I have the science fiction world that is very well developed, and I have a story set in that world, but I discovered while the plot was working, the first draft was terrible, and I really needed to work on my character development and certain writing skills. So I thought a smaller story that didn't need so much world building would be good. So I thought, let's do an urban fantasy novel set in an alternate version of St. Louis. Um, I really tried not to, but yeah, I created a whole magic system and did a whole lot of world building, but at least that's done now. So, um, yeah, and the whole not plotting thing, uh, the whole uh, pacing was completely off without plotting. So, um... So now I am on the first draft of that, and once I get done with the first draft, then I can work on what I really was trying to work on skills-wise, which was trying to make believable characters that are actually developing and changing over time and doing all those skillful things that, you know, characters, that, you know, literary novels are known for, even though it's very much a fantasy novel. Right. Well, I guess it comes to... Can I avoid this question? Yeah. <laughs> No, I can't. Okay. Um, I'm really glad Jennifer Stolzer's not here, because she would get so peeved off at me, it wouldn't be funny. You're going to go back to Skittles. That would make her very happy. Oh, yeah, that would make very her very happy. I, I don't plan to go back to Skittles. For those who are going, Skittles? Um, that was a series of short... Uh, 
basically it was a serial I was writing, and maybe, okay, one day I will go back to it, but that was of a story of a cat who was going to go to Mars as part of a colony, and it was being written from the cat's point of view. And yes, it was fun. Um, Thirteen chapters are done. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but I had um, Splintered Eye, which is still the working title. The Splintered Eye was going to be a suspense novel that I actually plotted out. Uh, 92 chapters, I believe, is how long it was going to be. Um, it was the story in which I really should not write. Um, I mentioned before about MLK versus Malcolm X. That was a big aspect of it. Um, and I was like, yeah, I really should not write this story, being who I am. Um, and the story, and that's not the reason why I put it aside by itself. That was a big one, but it was part of it. The other part was I found when I plotted it. Yeah, it was fun plotting it. Because I was having fun discovering the story. But once I had finished discovering the story, I was ready to go to sleep. Just hand me a tranquilizer. Um, so, I've gone back to my old ways. Yes, I'm working on a pant I'm pantsing a story. It's called Splintered Eye. It's got the same title. Same actual concept behind it, which is the way in which our perception of reality and what is given to us is... To be the perception of reality splinters our eye when we look at reality, so we don't actually see true reality. But it is a science fiction space west, not space western, but space opera. And I am actually doing something which I've had trouble doing in the past, which is opening up my own personal wounds and pouring them into it. So there's some personal experiences going into it, as well as stuff based from martial arts and so forth. But if anybody wants to see um, the setting that the entire universe takes place in, you can look up on Wikipedia or you can look in Google and look for the M64 Galaxy, always known as Black Guy Galaxy. And you can see at least the true setting of it. It's one heck of it. It's also known as the Evil Eye Galaxy. And it's very thought... That's one thing. It's Pictures do create stories for me, as well as music. So that's what I'm doing. Why I went with that is because it's actually something I know I can write. Whereas the other one, I don't think I could write it. So that's that. Um, anything else from anybody? Fedora, thank you. Well, we were talking about, uh, about what project happens next. Yeah. And a lot of times the projects are not necessarily projects you want to undertake, right. but those that you have to undertake. If you are traditionally published, you're going to get stuff coming back at you to edit. You'll get first a developmental editing to do, and then you'll get a copy editing to do. Yep. And then you'll have to send in the ancillaries, and you'll have to do this and that and the other and have deadlines for all of them. So there's a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily want to do. And if you're in an organization, you have duties to that organization, and they're important because your writer friends are important. They're important <laughs> partners and boosters of all kinds, and you need them because writing is a solitary kind of occupation for the most part. So there are many things that you have to do that you don't necessarily want to do, and yet those projects do have to take priorities 
at least at some time. And then on top of that, you get the wild hair every now and then. You find a little article in the newspaper that says, oh my, I should have thought of writing a story about this much earlier. Why didn't I do that? And it knocks and knocks and knocks at your noggin for days until you do something about it. So there are those little things that interrupt your life. And then you've got life, and it interrupts your life, too. So there are a lot of things that one must juggle and keep in the air simultaneously in order to lead a writer's life. This is true. And an off-mic conversation that Fedora and I were having, she was saying how many irons in the fire I have. And which I made, which I didn't make a joke. Actually, it was a joke made of me years ago, high school, and it always has still applied. Where a friend of mine had said, I had so many irons in the fire, he couldn't see fire anymore. It's all smoke, so he knows it's still burning, but how the hell I was keeping all those going was something he couldn't understand. I still don't understand it. But you, you also, as part of a writer, you're building a platform. Right Pack Radio is a platform. So is the podcasting network that Right Back Radio is now part of. That's a platform for us and for writers. And that takes up a lot of time. Each of these Right Back Radio episodes take at least a full day, not counting the recording time. Just a full day of editing and everything else that goes with it. So yeah, you, your busy life does take away a lot. And that's what helps figure out what you're going to write because you've got to be able to write something that you know you can get out there or that you don't mind taking the time to research and develop to write. And a lot of times that's stuff I call putting in my hopper, but um, both Brad and Fedora have called that letting the idea germinate inside you. So, any final thoughts on anything, Brad, Chanel? Brad, I think you're falling asleep on us. No, he's awake. Nope, still here. He's just Actually, kind of, I do have a... Uh, a total thought there, uh, uh, but you got to come back to me for a second because I have to refocus. Uh, like, okay, Brad's going to do a focus here. Chanel, any advice that um, you have or thoughts you have? I'm I'm like a big like woo-woo spiritualist when it comes to writing. Like it's very much less of a technical thing and more of like an inspirational thing. So go where the inspiration is. That's pretty much always the way I do it. Um, like a deadline in school and publications and things like that notwithstanding, go with where the fire is because that's where you're going to find the most inspiration to actually complete your story. I would agree. You can't wait on inspiration to come to you, but go to where your, go to where your passion is and usually your inspiration is waiting there. Brad, thank you. Yes, okay, see? Put my thank you, Chanel. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so here, here it is real quick, uh, um, a quick story and then uh, my advice. So um, the stories, two of the stories that I'm writing this year are both uh, things that came to me from inspirations that I have seen and very much was like, oh, I wanted to write that. So I very much am a believer in something that moves you and makes you inspired and grabs you and makes you want to to tell a story. Uh, that is very cool, and that is probably the right road to walk down. And to that end, uh, this is my advice. So be on constant head swivel 
for any stories that are out there. Because every story that I'm writing this year, the reason why I can write four of them is because they are so eager to get out of me, uh, is that all of them come from personal inspiration from somewhere. Whether it's from my past and it's a right that needs to be wronged, uh, a story that needs to be told, whether it's history, and in that history there's something that uh, no one knows about but me or maybe five other guys out there, uh, but it's time to tell that story and get it wider. Uh, there's some reason, there's going to be some reason that you're going to want to tell a story, but uh, be constantly looking around for that because you never know where it's going to come from. Uh, it can come from anywhere. It could come from just sitting on Reddit one night. You never know. There you go. I think that's a wonderful point, Brad, that uh, a writer's first job is to observe, to notice everything that's going on around you and pick out from that those things which really inspire you or you think need more space in the world, more development in the world, and you're the only one who can do that. Thanks, yeah. Brad. That's a very great point. And I don't agree with him all that often, you know. Yeah, no, I'm putting this down on the calendar. We're going to celebrate next year as a holiday. Um, yeah, what do you expect? Mercury's in retrograde. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to actually have that be our last word for tonight. So thank you, everybody. Tune in next week for yet another interesting topic in the writing industry. Please subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to. Share us with your writing friends. I do want to do a quick shout-out. I don't always get to do this, but a quick shout-out to all our fans. Um, I don't know from everybody where they all listen, listen at, but I do know from one of the platforms we have, of course, a lot of Americans, Canadians, Swedish, Swiss, Australians, Japanese, Philippines, and Costa Ricans, who are our top group. I love you guys. I don't know how all you found us. But thank you, and everybody whose nation I didn't name is out there. We went to see you guys as well, and I do appreciate it. Thank you all. Take care. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.